Kefazolin itself is one of the drugs that is most associated with anaphylaxis in Australia. So just because they had their anaphylaxis to penicillin doesn't mean they now can't have an anaphylaxis to kefazolin. And we also know that with any penicillin allergy, that patients have an increased risk of allergy to other drugs. So even unrelated drugs, but that also extends to related drugs. So they are probably at increased risk of anaphylaxis to kefazolin than their general population. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Dr. Richard Scalaro, immediate past chair of ANZAC, the Australian New Zealand Anaesthetic Allergy Group. You are listening to the Australian Anesthesia Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Susie Nu from the Australian Society of Anesthetists, otherwise known as the ASA. In the last episode, we tackled some of the nuances of anaphylaxis testing. In this episode, we are taking a deeper dive into antibiotic anaphylaxis and in particular, the cross-reactivity between penicillins and kephalosporins. It's much more nuanced than it first appears when reading the therapeutic guidelines. So let's get into it. The other question I wanted to ask you about was kefazolin. Yes. Because it is in the top three in terms of causative agents. And yes. there was, I want to say recent, but actually it's quite a few years old now, there was some advice that came out from the therapeutic guidelines about penicillin and kefazolin cross-reactivities. So when I was a medical student... Uh, which was a long time ago, then what was Not as long ago to- as for me. <laughs> <laughs> then what we were taught was there was 10% cross-reactivity between penicillin anaphylaxis and kefazolin anaphylaxis. Yes. And now we're finding that those numbers are a lot lower. Yes. And that penicillin anaphylaxis or allergies even wane over time. I see that on... Not so recent publication from the therapeutic guidelines, they're actually advising that it's okay to use kephalosporins in people with penicillin allergies. What are your thoughts on that one? Okay, so that information with regards to the 10% cross-reactivity was an issue with manufacturing. So those kephalosporins actually had traces of penicillins in them. So that's why there was a increased risk of kephalosporin allergy because the patients were actually reacting to the penicillins that were in those products. Wow, that's interesting. So with regards to giving kephalosporins to patients with penicillin, there's a number of guidelines that address the management of reported beta-lactam allergy. And beta-lactams, just to be clear, that's penicillins, kephalosporins and carbapenems. And monobactams as well. Monobactams, that's right. I knew that there's four categories in there. <laughs> there's a number of guidelines and those in guidelines include those produced by ASCIA, which is the Australian Society of Immunology and Allergy. There's a European Academy of Allergy and Immunology, which has released guidelines. Also, the Joint Task Force on Practice Parameters, and that's a task force which is comprised of members of the American Academy and Colleges of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology, Mm -hmm. and also the Therapeutic Guidelines here in Australia. There was an article in actually in the Australian Prescriber back in 2019, but those Mm. guidelines are obviously available on the Therapeutic Guidelines website. And all of these guidelines, as you would expect, take a somewhat different approach to this problem. Do they all agree with four sets of guidelines? (laughs) And no, there is an agreement and they they use a little bit different language and talk about different things that are important. Mm -hmm. Regarding allergy in general, though, it's important to take a good history first. So what were the actual symptoms? 
When did the event occur in relation to taking the suspected antibiotic? What treatment were you given for that? Did you end up in hospital needing an adrenaline infusion or did you just have no issues whatsoever? When did the reaction occur? Like how many years ago did it happen? Is this something that's happened relatively recently or this happened when you were a teenager or even a child? What drugs were you actually given? Often patients will say they've got a penicillin allergy when in fact when you dive in deeper it wasn't actually penicillin they got given or they'd have no idea what drug they actually got and they've always just said it's a penicillin allergy or that they've been told by someone else in their distant past that they had an, a reaction to penicillin and they're not even sure that it even happened. That's the most um, common story I hear. It was like I had a virus as a child. I think I was given amoxicillin and I think I got a rash. I don't really know. Yeah. Yep. And what antibiotics have you had since? I had a patient the other day who told me about their penicillin allergy and told me two weeks ago in Bali they had amoxil and not had any problems. Under those circumstances, they've given themselves their own challenge and you should actually remove their allergy from the record in the hospital if you possibly can do that so it doesn't continue. And you should inform them that's what the story is so that the patient will be their own advocate. The education is important so the patient can receive those appropriate antibiotics in the future. On the lesser end of the scale, if a patient suffers nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, headache, say the family member had a problem with a beta-lactam, basically you can say that those people pose the same risk with penicillins, cephalosporins as the general population, mm-hmm. and you should remove the label. If they've had any of those non-specific symptoms, they still obviously stand a risk of anaphylaxis because anaphylaxis can happen de novo to any agent that we give, mm-hmm. so they're still at risk but there's no reason not to give them. Also important that all rashes are not equal. And if there was a severe cutaneous reaction, such as Stevens-Johnson syndrome or DRESS or TENS, then all beta-lactams should be avoided. And just to recap their DRESS, I've got from the therapeutic guidelines as a drug rash with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. And yes. TENS is toxic epidermal necrolysis. Yes. Do you say necrolysis or necrolysis? I don't say it very often, so whatever way you want to say it. I'm not a stickler for pronunciations. TENS in pregnancy can mean something else. And in pain medicine, TENS is the transcutaneous electrical neurostimulation for for release. So TENS in this case is the nasty skin reaction. Yes. So all nasty skin reactions. And in those circumstances, you shouldn't be giving a patient a beta-lactam again under any circumstances. To find a bit about this, you should ask them about the rash if it included any ulceration, including ulceration of the mouth and other mucous membranes, any blisters, sloughing of the skin, etc., So just to be clear on that, just so they got that severe skin reaction to a penicillin, you would avoid all beta-lactams, all four categories of those antibiotics that we mentioned before. I'm not absolutely specifically sure about the carbapenems and the monobactams, but I would be seeking advice from an immunologist. And if you don't have a local immunologist, you need to speak to an immunologist who's more distant to get advice. These drugs cause death. Yeah. And it's not that yeah. infrequent and it's something you should be not playing around with. You should be speaking to someone who's got a lot better knowledge than yourself. Yeah, good point. I've seen Stevens Johnson's in an ICU setting and it's not been a very pleasant condition to manage. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah, they are fatal a lot of the time. So, yeah, it's really important. And so just to be clear, the carbapenems are things like miropenem, imipenem. Yes, and the monobactams. <laughs> You're going to be stretching me there. There is one I, drug. There is one drug that's a monobactam, but I can't remember exactly what it is. I'm, I'm sorry, gonna, Susie. I've got Aztrionam. Yes. Aztrionam. Yes. And using the power of word search inside the task force document, 
their consensus statement 18, we suggested in patients with a history of penicillin or cephalosporin allergy as a TRIAM may be administered without prior testing, but that is for immediate type sensitivity reactions, not delayed types such as the Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And again, I would say that under those circumstances, I would definitely talk to an immunologist. Yep, perfect. Okay, so for those ones that we're most commonly seeing, the people who are saying that they had rashes in childhood, we can go forth accepting that the risk of further cephalosporin would be the same as the general population. Yeah, so again, just need to ensure that it was actually a penicillin as opposed to a cephalosporin. Speaking to my immunology friends, cephalosporin allergy is a different kettle of fish to penicillin allergy. And so if you've had previous cephalosporin allergy, the suggestion is that you speak to an immunologist with regards to giving further cephalosporins because I've been told that it's unlikely that you just get a benign sort of erythematous rash associated with cephalosporins. They also said that it's important to differentiate between a drug that you've received in hospital and a drug you've received in the community. Can I, I've only had access to the TGA guidelines. Can I yes. just pick you up on something there? Because they're actually saying the cross-reactivity is about 1% to 2%. Yeah. So beta-lactams have side chains, side chains in the R1 and R2 position. And we know, for example, that Keflex and the amino penicillins, which share a similar R1 side chain, so that's ampicillin and amoxicillin, have a significant degree of cross-reactivity. Okay. So if you had a type 1 hypersensitivity reaction associated with amoxicillin, Mm -hmm. you could well do the same with Keflex. Sure. And type 1 hypersensitivity being? Urticaria, angioedema, bronchospasm, hypotension, tachycardia. So So all those sort of classic anaphylaxis. Yeah, all those classic anaphylaxis type reactions. So in some parts of the world, like in the United States, the cross-reactivity between the drugs such as Keflex and amino penicillins is not that high, but in Europe it is higher. And in Australia, it is higher. And that just shows that there are regional differences in allergy around the world, as has been the example with neuromuscular blocking agents. Interesting. The therapeutic guidelines say that also penicillin allergy wanes over time. So if someone hasn't had a reaction in the last five years, you're reassured in going ahead as well. Yes. Again, if you're going to give them a cephalosporin as opposed to a penicillin. Remembering that's penicillin allergy, it's not cephalosporin allergy. So penicillin allergy wanes. We're not quite so sure about what happens with cephalosporins at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. If they've had penicillin and it's been a reaction more than five years ago, you're probably okay to give them a cephalosporin. Probably okay, as the guidelines say. But again, I would suggest that you need to know what the penicillin was. Yep. And you need to be comfortable that they don't share the same side chain. Okay, so you need to go through and have a look at what the side chain similarities between that drug and something else might be. So you just need to just be a little bit careful. Yep. So because that's a bit unclear, because say you had a child who had a rash to amoxicillin, it was pretty clear. Yep. And they're now an adult, so more than five years has passed. Yeah. The way I read the therapeutic guidelines is it would have waned. So I'm actually okay to even try amoxicillin again if I wanted to. Yes, you are. You're safe. Yes, you are safe to give amoxicillin again, probably under those circumstances, but probably not in an operative setting. You don't want someone developing a rash and issues during their operation when they've then had a number of other drugs. And so you're not sure which of those agents is a cause. 
And so if you're going to give... It's safe, obviously, for them to have amoxicillin as a one-off drug. It's always a bit difficult when you start giving drugs so that the patient's got a history of a rash, and then if they develop a rash during their operation, what's that from? Exactly. Sorry, given what you said about the side chain, amoxicillin having a similar side chain to kefalexin. Oh, kefalexin. Yes, not kefazolin. <laughs> I yeah, feel so like that's I, the issue, isn't it? I need a side it? chain cheat sheet to get my head around all of yes, this. Yes, <laughs> you do. So, yeah, so I wouldn't give them kefalexin, but I might no. be more confident giving kefazolin. Yeah, so the situation with yep. kefazolin is it's got a unique side chain. Right. And the Joint Task Force on Practice Parameters states that kefazolin can be given even in documented penicillin anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. And that's the US guidelines. That's the US yep. guidelines. So yep. that's been published more recently than European guidelines mm-hmm. and the therapeutic goods guidelines. And the ASCIA guidelines don't particularly talk about giving cephalosporins in penicillin allergic patients. Mm-hmm. Those documents are relatively separate. The penicillin document talks about penicillins. The cephalosporin document talks about cephalosporins. If you've got an allergy to penicillin, then kefazolin is likely safe to give. Okay. As the task force says, even in the case of anaphylaxis. Great. All right. So that's that, really clearly answering that specific cross-reactivity question. Yeah. And as you say, the question is, how do you know that you're dealing with exactly those two agents? You're dealing with kefazolin if you're the one administering yep. it, but you're not sure what you're dealing with in terms of the prior reaction yes. to the prior drug. Yep. And as we know, as I stated earlier, kefazolin itself is one of the drugs that is most associated with anaphylaxis in Australia. So just because they had their anaphylaxis to penicillin doesn't mean they now can't have an anaphylaxis to kefazolin. Yep. And we also know that with any penicillin allergy, that patients have an increased risk of allergy to other drugs. So even unrelated drugs, but that also extends to related drugs. So they are probably at increased risk of anaphylaxis to kefazolin than their general population. Right. But you can't avoid all antibiotics, obviously, in someone who's had a penicillin allergy. So you've still got risk of causing anaphylaxis under those circumstances. Okay. All right. And the mechanism, as you say, is thought to be just an increased risk of anaphylaxis in general, not specifically a cross-reactivity issue. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> I learn something every time I talk with you, Richard. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. So I guess the, my final statement would be that obviously this is a complex field and there's a lot of nuance in this field and it's evolving. The guidelines have been evolving over time and it's right. best to understand a few key points. Yes. Don't be overly confident that you remember the complexities correctly and if you're not certain, seek advice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good tips. And I think if the guidelines are updated or as information becomes emerging, I'd love to revisit this with you in a yeah, podcast for sure. again. Because yep. I think it really helps, as I say, if you can explain it to a fifth grader, then yep. hopefully it sticks a bit better. All right. I think that's nailed it. That's nailed okay. penicillin kefalosolin cross-reactivity for me. Yeah. That was the other thing. In the therapeutic guidelines, they make a very nice sentence that basically we should always be weighing up the particular benefits and harms of an antibiotic or any treatment actually that we're giving. Yes. And a prophylactic antibiotic may not be indicated for the particular kind of procedure that we're doing. Yes. And it's hard with those decisions because we don't, as anaesthetists, don't necessarily have control of that situation. And I'm sure many of us have been asked to give antibiotics when we don't feel that they're indicated. 
but it's hard to mount that argument against a person who's got care of the patient and mm. also possibly has more up-to-date knowledge in their field than we might have. Speaking about narrowing of your field, obviously we're not aware of all the microbiological issues associated with every particular operation. Yes. And we might not have the most up-to-date guides, but in our hospital, for example, we do have a, a picture on the wall of all the appropriate prophylactic antibiotics under the most current guidelines. So oh, yes. that's good, yes. But that's not the case in all theatres I work in. No, no, exactly. But sometimes we're actually able to cross-pollinate information as well. Yes, definitely. So for ex- example... I not that infrequently do a list with a plastic surgeon and we might be doing couple tunnel releases and yes. trigger finger releases and so forth. And if you ask them about prophylactic antibiotics, they say, no, this is clean surgery, not, yes. not required. And then I recently had the pleasure of doing a similar list with an orthopedic surgeon. And just out of courtesy, are antibiotics required? Oh, yes, please. Because potentially of their background in orthopedics. Yes. And their experience with joints and joint infections, which are nasty. So I completely get that. But then yeah. when you point out to them, oh, the hand surgeon's don't use antibiotics for this kind of surgery, then it just gives them a moment to pause about why they are recommending antibiotics in this situation. Yes, it might give them time. Their immediate response might be the same, but they might reflect on it for later use. Yes, I think it's a very valid point that we should always raise our concerns with our surgical colleagues when we feel that a treatment is maybe not in line with current guidelines. As a patient advocate, we do have a responsibility, but it can be difficult. Exactly. All right. Look, thank you once again. I think that's really clarified. Thank you very much, Susie. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for your time. Well, I hope you enjoyed that deeper dive into the cross-reactivity between penicillin and cephalosporins. Some takeaways from my end were, number one, check the history. Try to find out what the causative agent was, what's, what's been safely given since, and the nature of the reaction. If your patient has had any of those nasty, life-threatening skin reactions, then definitely speak to an immunologist. Number two, if the anaphylaxis to penicillin occurred more than five years ago, then it's probably okay to try a cephalosporin. The patient may even be okay to try a penicillin again, but you need to really question whether you want to do this in the perioperative setting when there's so much going on with surgery and there's so many other medications that we give during an anaesthetic. And finally, takeaway number three was that cross-reactivity between penicillins and cephalosporins is not 10% as I was first taught at medical school and is more likely to be about 1% to 2%. What I was intrigued to learn was that people who have had anaphylaxis to penicillin have an increased risk of anaphylaxis to other drugs, be they structurally related or not. So there you go. Proceed with your usual approach of weighing up the risks and benefits that are particular to your patient. And also, as always, be prepared to handle an emergency, which I know you are. But that does lead me to let you know that the third and final part of my conversation with Richard is tackling some of the common myths about the management of anaphylaxis. And we are also taking a deep dive into the removal of folcadine in cough medicines that are sold in Australia. Until then, check out the links to the ANZAG website. ASA members, I'm reminding you that we have a webinar with Dr. Ben McKenzie coming up in March. Some of you might recall Ben from episode number 78 of this podcast, that's 7-8, where we talk about the loss of his teenage son's life to anaphylaxis. Definitely the hardest podcast for me so far. If you are interested in coming to the webinar and meeting Ben virtually online for yourself, then look out for the email or go over to the events page on the ASA website. Of course, I'll put a link to everything in the show notes. 
Finally, don't forget to log this podcast in your CPD portfolio. Until next time, I hope you're staying safe and well out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Australian Anesthesia Podcast, which can be found on all the major podcast hosting platforms, as well as YouTube. This podcast is produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists and hosted by Dr. Susie Newt with music created by Dr. Mark Seuss. The ASA was formed in 1934, and our vision is for every anaesthetist in Australia to be at their best, providing the highest quality anaesthesia and perioperative care through excellent technical and non-technical skills. We also hope that this means that you are functioning at your best when you're away from work. In this podcast, we have conversations that seek to inform, challenge, and inspire you to keep you performing at your best. Members of the ASA can access full versions of all episodes by logging into the ASA website at asa.org.au. If you are listening on your favorite podcast app, then make sure you look at the episode notes for the direct link to the podcast on the ASA website. Also, feel free to follow or subscribe so that you can receive the latest episodes as we do publish regularly. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to email us on podcast at asa.org.au. Thank you for your time and we hope you enjoyed listening.